we're starting, so I'm also super excited. We're starting a brand new series uh, this morning. It's called Paper Kings. Uh, we're going to be exploring a part of our Bibles that, again, I don't think is uh, probably too well-loved. Uh, you probably don't have many dog-eared pages, probably not too many notes in the margins or coffee stains. You know, this isn't a popular spot for devotions, you know, or, or even sermons. Uh, we're going to be looking through uh, kind of the lesser-known kings. Uh, we're in the historical books of the Bible about ancient Israel, uh, like we were doing in Deuteronomy. Um, we're we're kind of discovering, hopefully, parts of our Bibles that we don't know all that well. Uh, the reason why I like doing this is, is because the Bible is so much more than just fodder for sermons or for devotionals. This is what God revealed to us about himself. When we read the Bible, we learn about who he is and we learn about life itself. And so while we study these passages that perhaps we don't know quite as well, it will help us see the bigger picture and help us understand what God is trying to communicate to us about who he is and what he wants for us, the true life that we can find in him. So we are going to be, so it's paper kings. We're, we're going to be doing profiles on eight different kings, all from uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, we'll explain that a little bit today. Uh, the Bible, as it, as it writes about the history of Israel, it focuses primarily on these kings. Um, they're almost like little biographical snippets. There's kind of like moralistic stories, you know, where you can kind of tell, oh, that was a bad choice. That was a good choice. Therefore, do this. Um, that's how they're written. And so we are going to read them as kind of little biographies, you know, and, and, and try to look and see who about this person uh, is positive, good, that we should follow, and who about this person is fallen and not quite there. The reason we're calling it paper kings is because every single one of these kings isn't quite there. So, you know, if you, if you guys took home that little sheet of paper from last week and did the extra study discussion group on Deuteronomy, one of the uh, questions and passages you could have read was the expectations for the king. And you'll find that every single one of these kings doesn't live up. Even the good ones. Even the good ones aren't quite there. The paper. You know, they can crumple away. They can be destroyed. They can burn up. You know, what we really need is a true king. So this sermon series is going to set, set us up for Advent, where we look at our true king, who is Jesus. So that's where we're going. But before we start diving into the text for today, uh, there's two important biblical concepts. So uh, we're going to be reading through First uh, and Second Kings, not all the way through, but portions of First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Um, that comes that much through in the Bible. So this much has already happened. I have to tell you guys some important parts uh, that we need to understand as we're reading through these kings. The first is the one I've already hinted at. That's the, the law. Deuteronomy. This is how God has said, you will be my people and I will be your God. This is the promise that God's people makes back to God and saying, we will follow this to be your people. And included within that are expectations for the king, for the leadership. And so all throughout the kings, this is the standard that God's judging and grading, evaluating, is the king good or is he bad? And it's based on how closely are they following the law? How close are they being faithful to God through this covenant, this promise that they have made. Key theme, that's the backdrop. The second key theme is this promise that God makes back to David, saying that you will always have you and your descendants on the throne. Uh, there's this really cool scene. Um, we're we're going to just give you the context of it, where Solomon, David's son, builds a temple in Jerusalem. And in Deuteronomy, we read where, where God said, gather to the place where I will choose to put my name. Well, here we see in 1 Kings, God chooses to place his name in this temple in Jerusalem. This will be his place. And there's this, this massive ceremony. The whole, the whole nation turns out for it. You know, it's great worship of God. God's presence comes with smoke and fills the temple. You know, it's a, a massive party, massive worship celebration. 
Um, and then Solomon prays and asks that God would be there for, for them, that, that he would listen when they cry to him, um, and God responds. And here's one thing that he says, uh, God says to Solomon. It's 1 Kings 9, 4 through 5. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my, decree, and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal, royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. This is the second key backdrop, right? So the first is the law, which is the people's promise to God that we will remain faithful to you. And here's God doubling down his promise to the kings that you, David, and your line, if you follow the law, I will, I will protect you. I will make sure that you always have a descendant on the throne. You do not have to fear losing your throne, losing your power. This is my plan for you. Those are the two promises at work on the whole backdrop of all the kings that we're going to be reading. And it's going to come into the story, uh, whether or not it's the king is doing well or not well, and we see God's response as well. Today, we're going to be looking at Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, the direct successor. So he's, you know, God's told Solomon, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne. We're going to read about his direct success, successor, goodness, that's a tough word. I better keep saying it. Uh, his direct successor, Rehoboam, will he uh, continue in faithfulness? Um, for this series, we're having you guys read through all of the passages about each king, and I'm challenging you to have a one-word summary of who that king is, uh, to come prepared. And so this is the portion, we're going to do this, I know this is the first week, but now, now this will be a reminder for next week. Uh, read through it all. It's on the study guide that we've got online. Uh, next week, it's King Asa, just if you needed to know that. Um, <laughs> if you didn't, weren't going to look that up. Uh, but did anyone read through Rehoboam's life and come up with a one-word summary or one word that stood out or one word that to you is who he is uh, in the Bible? Uh, shout it out if you have a word. Immature. Immature. Asinine. Asinine. That's a good word. Just got to look it up. <laughs> good. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not trying to say you got to do this, but next week I'm going to do the exact same thing. And if you want to participate, all you got to do is read the passages about the king and then shout it out. The word that I had for Rehoboam is strength. Now, not necessarily because he demonstrated strength, but because there were very, uh, several scenarios in his life where he had to demonstrate strength. He was the new king, right? He wasn't Solomon. He was Solomon's son. And there were going to be opportunities where he was going to have to show the true strength of a king. Uh, sometimes he fails to do it. Uh, he seems obsessed in the rest of his life with you know, maintaining strength and becoming strong. And all of the, the stories that we have through kings, we'll read two of them today, uh, tie back to this concept. Where is his strength? Where is his true strength? Is he strong enough? Uh, these are questions we wrestle with as well. Just like Rehoboam, you might not be a king, but you certainly have areas in your life that require strength, right? Whether it's moral strength, whether it's physical strength, whether you're in a position of authority, uh, what do you do? How do you act? What is the proper path to take? Where is your true strength found? Uh, these are questions that we're going to explore today as we read through uh, the story of King Rehoboam. So I'm going to be in 1 Kings chapter 12 uh, we'll read slowly. I'll read a little at a time. Uh, we're going to go through the first 18 verses, and this will set the scene uh, for the rest of our sermon series. All right, so 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 18. I'll stop, and we'll just talk through it. Uh, 
Verse one, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. All right, pause. Lots, lots to be said. And there's even more that I'm going to say. But what we see here is Rehoboam is, is just barely crowned, right? He's not even coronated, right? You know, Solomon has just died in the previous verses and almost immediately there's a challenge to his authority, right? They, they, they come with a problem. There's not a celebration. There's not a, yeah, you the king. They're like, hey, time out. Hold on. Uh, Solomon had us do forced labor. Please lighten our burden and we'll serve you. Massive choice, right? How will Rehoboam respond? He is the rightful king. How will he choose to respond? How will he choose to show his strength as king in this scenario? Here's how he responds. All right, verse five. Rehoboam answered, go away for three days and then come back to me. So the people went away. This is good. This is wisdom right here, right? He recognizes the gravity of this decision. However he chooses to respond to all of Israel will determine who he is as king. It will determine their relationship. It will determine how he will be uh, viewed, respected, his strength, right? Like, what, what does it mean to be king? And he said, okay, time out. Let me, give me three days. Give me three days, right? That gives him enough time to fast and pray, to seek the Lord and, and really understand where God has him and then follow through, right? Eh, we'll see. Verse six, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if today you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. Okay, not, that's not terrible, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, it's not fasting, praying to God, but it's, it's talking to the elders. The elders who had served Solomon and done a good job, they, they offer him really good wisdom, right? They say, the true strength that you'll have as a king is actually through service, right? If you can serve them, if you can love them, they will in turn serve you. This is the, the response that the elders give. This, um, that, that's actually really good. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's pretty biblical based on what we already know, what we already know about who God is, even up to this point in the Bible. Uh, all right, Rehoboam, let's, let's let them know what you've decided. Verse 8, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? Oh, Rehoboam, careful. Why, why are we going here? Why are we getting a second opinion? The first one was pretty good. The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Okay, yes, that's very different advice, right? I mean, if he was seeking a second opinion, that's definitely a different opinion, right? I mean, he's got these two paths before him. Now, we, you can tell. You can tell one of those was wise advice. The other was unwise advice, foolish advice. The, the author even adds hints in the Hebrew um, that we don't see in our English to, to remind us the exact same thing. That, no, that, that was actually real foolish advice. When it says the young men who had grown up with him in verse 10, uh, young men is actually the Hebrew word for children, like boys. Uh, the NIV wants to not confuse us and think that Rehoboam was talking to school children, right? But 
But the author wants us to know that these are just boys, immature. He went back to his, his old boys, you know, the boys from the block that he grew up with. Hey, what, what do you guys think? There's something else, another hint. So when it says, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, the Hebrew doesn't specify what part that is. It says, my little part is thicker than my father's waist, uh, meaning some type of immature boys are going to say, hey, say, that, say your little part's thicker than your dad's waist. No, do it, do it. You know, thinking it'd be funny. It's crude. It's immature. Inappropriate for a king, right? But that's what his old boys, hey, yeah, do that. Yeah, say your, your scourging with scorpions. <laughs> yeah, right? Like that, that's the immaturity that's being displayed here. So Rehoboam has a choice. Right? He's got good advice, wise advice that says, no, true leadership, true strength means serving them and they will serve you back. And his, his homeboys are saying, no, no, push further. You're the king. Do whatever you want. Let them know that you're strong. Show your strength. All right, Rebom, what do we choose? Verse 12, three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered the people, harshly, rejecting the advice given him by the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through Ahijah, the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel. Look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of forced labor. But all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get in his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Woo, wrong choice. <laughs> you know, disaster, absolute disaster. So Rehoboam chooses to flex. I'm strong, right? Like, no, I'm the king. You will feel it. You will feel my power. And people say, well, forget that. You're not my king. We'll go over here. And it's a massive split. And, you know, the, the, the next verses say that Rehoboam's about to go to war to win them back. Um, and God stops him. And says, no, no it's too, too much bloodshed. This, this was my doing, but don't go any further. And so to this day, right, the, that the author says that 10 northern tribes are under another king. It's that Jeroboam character that we saw kind of at the very beginning. He's established as the king of Israel. And then Rehoboam just gets the two, two tribes left, Judah and Benjamin. And so here's, here's the part where it's probably confusing for us when we look and king of Israel, king of, king of Judah, who's who? Well, it's all because of this. So from this point on, look, look, this is one generation removed from God's promise. I will keep on the throne forever one of your descendants. And already, I mean, we're talking like year, just the, the next year after Solomon dies, right? Like already it's fractured nation. So we had David, God makes this promise. We have Solomon, the temple's made. There's this God's presence in Jerusalem. He renews his promise. And then Solomon's son, and, and already the promises are, are, are slipping through our grasp. I mean, it's, 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 it's uh, I was going to say dangerous, but it's not dangerous. It's, uh, look, look at my notes. What did I, what did I write? No, it's, it's, a, it's a travesty. It's like, how, how can this happen, right? It's devastating to, to what's happening in God's promises. What's going to happen? What's, are they going to be faithful? Is God going to be faithful? All these questions are in the air. 
Um, a little bit of that history I was telling you about. So the, the kingdom of Judah, is, uh, it's the kingdom of Israel, pardon me, is called the northern kingdom. That's 10 tribes. That's the majority of the population is with Jeroboam. And so sometimes when you read in the Bible, the king of Israel, it's talking about this north kingdom. And then there's this kingdom of Judah. Um, that's the southern kingdom with just ben, Benjamin and Judah. Jerusalem is down there in the southern kingdom. And they still have Rehoboam. They still have David's sons, Solomon's sons that promise as king down here. Uh, to make matters even more confusing, uh, we'll also be reading from Second Chronicles. The author of Chronicles thinks that northern kingdom is completely illegitimate and so doesn't consider them at all, D doesn't really reference them unless they come in contact with the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, also, uh, the author of Chronicles insists on calling the kingdom of Judah the kingdom of Israel because that's the one true Israel. And so if you've ever been confused reading your Bible, the Bible is changing the names, king of Israel, king of Judah, king of Israel. Wait, who, what? No, not a problem. Bear with it. You're not the only one. Uh, but Rehoboam, king of Judah, also king of Israel in Chronicles. And then you've got Jeroboam up north. All we have to say is that this is a massive decision, splits the nation apart. Uh, somehow this was part of God's plan. That's a different sermon for a different day. But we see Rehoboam had a choice and he chose foolishly. <laughs> he tried to show his strength, but it wasn't true strength. I want us to look back at that decision itself. Uh, because the way that it's described, this is a decision that, of course, we all have, um, but also it's, it's taught, it's, it's expressed in bigger, bigger issues than just, are you going to choose wise advice? Or are you going to choose foolish advice? So this whole thing starts out with God's people, the Israelites, saying, uh, we're working too hard. You're pushing us too hard with our slave labor. Lighten the load. Lighten the load. Does that sound familiar? How did the nation of Israel begin? Well, it started with a people, an ethnic minority in a foreign country under harsh labor that cried out to God and said, the labor's too harsh, lighten our load, <laughs> right? So what we have here in this disillusion of, of this nation of Israel, we have a, a rehearsal or, or you know, a rehashing of events of the birth of the nation where there's God's people who are under harsh labor crying out that their load would be lightened. And now Rehoboam steps into the play as Pharaoh. What will he choose? See, in Exodus, what happened? Pharaoh hardened his heart. He said, no, I will not make your, your labor any lighter. In fact, I will make it heavier. I will require you to make more bricks, and I'm going to take away the tools and the, the um, uh, <laughs> all my words are escaping me this morning, you know, the... Um, uh, raw products that you're using to build these. So that you're going to have to do it more on your own, right? So what he does, he makes it even harder on them. But then God comes and rescues them and saves them and says, you'll be my people. So God has this showdown, right? The 10 plagues, it's Pharaoh versus God. And Pharaoh's got his magicians and they're both trying to cause all sorts of, you know, crazy things to happen. In the end, God shows that he wins. He is more powerful than anyone. And Pharaoh's kind of held up as all powers that oppose God and are really strong, but ultimately they bow too. But then God uses his strength to create a people, to serve them, to love them, to say, I am committed to being with you to protect you forever. Right? That's what true strength looks like. Whereas Pharaoh's strength just shows power, dominion. Right? This is, this is the human strength. When we don't want to rely on God, when we want to oppose him, we say, I'm going to demonstrate my strength by, by coercion, right? by 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 me being elevated and you being pushed down, that's what this human strength looks like. Rehoboam has these options, right? Will he choose the path of Pharaoh? 
the, the one that opposes God, the one that his homeboys want him to do, that flexes, that feels strong and fights? Or will he choose the path that looks like God, that looks like Yahweh, that plays his role in this, in this play, where true strength is demonstrated by liberating others and then choosing to serve them and committing to love them? That's the choice that Rehoboam has, and he chooses Pharaoh. It's, it's a natural choice, right? Like, like okay, like we're talking cosmic, we're talking biblical, bring it into our own world, right? Into those situations that require strength, right? Like maybe it's a role that you have at work. Maybe you feel uh, you're perceived as weak and you need to demonstrate that, no, I, I do have authority here as a parent, right? Or as a manager, as um, an adult. <laughs> you know, like how, how can I demonstrate my strength? There's, there's a tendency, it's in, inside each one of us in our human nature to say, I just got to put the foot down and show that I'm boss, right? And sometimes I need to push them down. Here's, here's an example. Whenever I see injustice, I feel the need to show strength and say, you're wrong. But see, here's how it comes out. I feel like you need to feel like you're wrong because I'm right. You know, and so on my authority, I need to yell, let's say it's the one time, right, that one guy cut me off. He wasn't following the, the rules of the road. And I felt it appropriate to roll down my window and let him know that he was in the wrong. You know, yell at him. You know, show power. Hey, you know, like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You've got to, like, that is the way of Pharaoh right? Flexing. Show your muscle. You're strong. You're not going to back down. Don't show weakness. Show strength. And yet God says the other path is through love, through service, through kindness. You, know, you might say, well, well, sometimes you really do need strength to combat. Absolutely. Just look at, look at God's example, though. It was a strength to liberate, a strength to serve so other people might be lifted up, not himself. If you're using your strength and the only benefiter is you, that's probably Pharaoh's strength. If you're using your strength so that others might benefit and you might be actually seen as less or maybe even weaker, that's probably more God's strength, right? Because Rehoboam has this choice. If he, if he says, sure, I'll lighten your load, that probably means less wealth for him, right? Because the, the king is probably the one benefiting from this labor. Um, we, we learned that Solomon in, uh, conscripted a lot of labor for the building of the temple and the palace. Also, it mentions that there were a couple houses he built for his wives. You know, so he's benefiting from this labor, right? So Rehoboam's like, oh, well, then I won't be as wealthy. They'll also probably uh, see me as weaker, right? So here's concessions. They're essentially like, hey, you'll be our king as long as you let us do what we want. And it's like, ah, oh, okay, but then I'm not really like, I don't have control over you. You know, so choosing the route of godly strength means, well, maybe losing control, maybe opening your hands a bit. Ultimately, this is where true strength is. True strength submits to God and looks like humility, right? So what we had Rehoboam doing was trying to stand and look strong, right? Say this, all right, well, I'll, I'll whip you with scorpions, <laughs> you know? It's like, you think it's bad now, well, it'll be even worse. No, 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 that's Pharaoh's strength that says, let me flex, let me show you how strong I am. But in doing that, he actually showed how weak he was, how unqualified he was to be a true king. Because what true king leadership, what true king strength looks like, submitting to God, and it looks an awful lot like, like humility. Because this is, after all, what God had demonstrated back to the nation of Israel. That's the kind of strength we need. All right, but this isn't the end of Rehoboam's story. It keeps, keeps going. Uh, Kings doesn't talk too much, but Chronicles, you know, the next couple pages, uh, tells a little bit more of his life. And I think it's really telling. There's some details uh, that, that kind of feel like, yeah, you know, kind of throwaway details. I'm, I'm in Second Chronicles 11. You probably read this. 
The NIV says, the, the header, the header, the title, Rehoboam fortifies Judah. And it just goes boring, you know, like Rehoboam lived in Jerusalem and built up towns for defense in Judah, Bethlehem, Etam, Tekoa, Bethzur, Soko, Adullam, Gath, Marashah, Ziph, Adoraim, Lachish, Azekah, Zorah, Ajalan, and Hebron. These were fortified cities in Judah and Benjamin. He strengthened their defenses and put commanders in them with supplies of food, olive oil, and wine. He put shields and spears in all the cities and made them very strong, so Judah and Benjamin were his. Interesting paragraph. Do you know what I hear? I hear a man that knows he's not strong enough. And so what does he do, right? So he has, the, he has this episode, right? The very first day of king, he's like, ah, oh no, that wasn't the right choice. You know, it's like, I must get power. So let me build up this city and build up this city. He's made a massive enemy in the north. They're, they're at war his entire reign, it says. So he's strengthening himself. He's, he's saying, I need to find this strength because I'm the king. I need strength. And he's still looking for it on his own. He's, st- he's still not submitting to God. He's still not acting in humility like God is. His life is a pursuit of strength. And then 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1. Sorry, I read something that I didn't put on the slides. I know, I, I tricked you guys. But you guys read it all anyway, so you knew where I was. All right, 2 Chronicles 1. Uh, sorry, 2 Chronicles 12, verse 1. Here's, here's a test of his strength. Did, did Rehoboam make himself strong enough? Here it is. After Rehoboam's position as king was established and he had become strong, he and all Israel with him abandoned the law of the Lord. Ooh, yeah, bad step. His strength was not out of submission to God. It was not in humility to him. It was rather, I can do this. And isn't this true in our lives, right? When we start feeling strong, we start feeling confident of ourselves, well, we don't really need God, right? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll go to church still sometimes. You know, I'll read my Bible still sometimes, pray uh, when I can. No, it's like you abandon it. Why? Because you're, you're secure. You're strong in yourself. You already feel like, I've, well, I've got what I need. That's Rehoboam. He had done it. He had fortified all the cities of Jerusalem. He'd done it. Okay, made a mistake, sure, but he learned from his mistakes, and now he's really strong. We'll see. Verse 2, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem in the fifth year of King Rehoboam with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen and the innumerable troops of Libyans, Succites, and Cushites that came with him from Egypt. He captured the fortified cities of Judah and came as far as Jerusalem. Yikes, <laughs> right? Like in, in one verse, all of those fortified cities that were built up are now torn down, right? This massive army from Egypt, nonetheless, is coming and threatening him. It turns out you're not as strong as you thought, Rehoboam, right? I mean, this is life. You think you're strong, and then something comes, a challenge comes, and you're like, well, actually, maybe not. Maybe I can't make it, right? And here's, here's the devastating part. It gets worse. Then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak, and he said to them, this is what the Lord says, you have abandoned me, therefore I now abandon you to Shishak. There it is. This is the fifth year of Rehoboam's reign, and it's over. <laughs> right? This promise of God's people to be faithful to him, that literally just two generations before with David, right? And, and, and a massive celebration with his dad, Solomon, with the temple. We will follow you forever. And God said, yes, I will, I will protect you, and I will make sure you will have someone on the throne forever. One generation later, five years later, gone. They've abandoned him. They decided, you know what, I'll, I'll be strong enough on my own. Thank you, God. I appreciate everything you've done to set up this nation. I'll take it from here. 
right? And God says, okay, then, then my promise is gone too. <laughs> you know, then, then if you're not my people, I won't be your God. Let's see how you do. Oh, devastating. So Rehoboam, who struggles for strength, will prove he's got a different response this time. Verse 7. Nope, verse 6. The leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is just. Whoa, that is totally different, right? The path of Pharaoh says, well, I'll fight. I'll prove you wrong, God. I am strong. Watch this. I will demonstrate my strength, and I will fight to the last breath. You know, and if they want to take me down, they'll take me down, but I will make sure I hurt them while I go. Instead, he chooses a path that looks a whole lot like humility, like submission to God. The Lord is just. It's funny, the author, they want us to see something here. All sorts of themes. What Pharaoh said uh, after the plague of hail, when his heart first started softening, right? It says that he had a stubborn heart and he was rejecting, no, you cannot go worship God because that's what Moses had come and asked for. After hail, he said, you know what? The Lord is right and we are wrong. Go take your people. Then he, he walked back a couple times. But the very first response, he actually used the exact same Hebrew word. It's sadiq or sedekah, which is justice, righteousness, this, this peace, this characteristic of who God is. Pharaoh's heart, when it softened, is exactly what Rehoboam's heart was when it softened. He had played the role of Pharaoh, but now he's submitting to God. Here's what God does. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, this word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however, become subject to him so that they may learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of other lands. Cool, powerful stuff. Rehoboam didn't want to follow God's way. He abandoned the promises of God. He abandoned the law. He abandoned the covenant. Go on, on your own. And what God says is like, okay, you can go back to Egypt. <laughs> see, see if you can remember what it's like serving them versus serving me. Right? We talked about last week that God actually wants us to have life. He, he is committed to serving us so that we might have life. That's how he's demonstrating his strength and his love. But also within that justice, that's absolutely what they deserve, to be destroyed. There's this heavy dose of mercy. I won't destroy you. Okay, I see that you are humble. Okay, I won't destroy you. I will keep you. <laughs> the promise is alive. You know, the hope is alive that there will still be kings forever that God places on this throne. A massive understanding of who our God is characteristic. He is just. Our God is just. He is right. We are wrong. And yet, there is mercy in his justice. He is willing to respond if we choose the path of God and not choose the path of Pharaoh. One other thing I want to circle back to. In both of these stories, it says uh, that God knew it was going to happen, right? There was a prophecy that it was going to split ahead of time or that God himself sent this, this Egyptian army that was going to conquer all of Jerusalem. Sometimes in the situations that you're in, you feel the pressure to be strong, right? People need to see your strength, or that's the role you've been given. You're, you're a parent, right? So you, you, know, you, you can't let your kids do whatever you want. You're going to have to be strong, right? Or you're a manager, right? And they're looking to you. You're in some leadership role, right? Where it's like, well, what do we do? And you're, oh, oh, all right, we will, you know, it's like you feel the pressure, of needing to be strong, right? Or, or someone's looking at you in a social setting and, and someone offended you, right? Or someone insulted you. How will you respond, right? Like, how will you show your strength? And you feel like, 
everything that's going around, your family, your future, all these things that we just said, right, that we don't have to fear because God's there, those aren't on your shoulders. God has everything already planned. God is already steering things. You do not have to be strong enough in order to make the solutions happen in your life. God already has it planned. He's sovereign. He's the one in control. You don't have to be in control strong enough to steer the situation. You just have to pick the path. Like Rehoboam, how will you demonstrate strength? The situation in front of you requires strength. What will that strength look like? Choose humility. (laughs) Choose true strength. Submitting to God in humility. It's going to look like serving others, loving them, maybe knocking yourself down a peg. Maybe people won't think you're as strong as you are, but this is true strength. This is what Rehoboam needed. This is what God needs from his leaders. This is what God asks of us. He is our strength. It's not ourselves. Don't feel the pressure to be strong or to build up your cities. Have the strength to submit to God, to rely on him, to serve others in humility. Now, we're all, we're all like Rehoboam, where we've got uh, stories that, that contain highs and failures, you know, and formation processes. That's going to be a part of our journey, and that's A-OK. You always have a God who's willing to show you mercy as you choose him. Even if you've made mistakes in your past, our God is just, but he's also merciful, and he wants to give us another chance to, so that he can demonstrate his committed love to us. But another, another point, too. Uh, there's leaders in life, political leaders, family leaders, religious leaders, uh, boss leaders, economic leaders, you know, where we're going to follow. And if we are hoping that they will take us to a place of peace, a, a place of tranquility, a place of life and an abundance, well, here, here's, the, here's the lesson we can learn today. They're also in a process of formation, and they're going to take you with them on that process. Rehoboam dragged an entire nation into his process of formation with God, right? A a, a civil war, a nation split because he wasn't mature enough, right? Because he wasn't choosing the path of submitting to God. If we place our hope in our human leaders, we will endure their process of formation with them. What we really need to have life, to have peace, to have a a potential for abundance, or even to, to focus on ourselves and our relationship with God, we need a leader who is perfectly aligned with God, perfectly submitted to God, not just in times of these tests of strength, but in all times, right? When when things are going well, that they're still submitted, right? We need a leader who is perfectly humble, who perfectly expresses that strength through service and committed love. We need Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these stories. (laughs) Thank you for these history lessons. Thank you for... uh, these kings uh, who lived a life on display, uh, not just for the people around them, but for uh, centuries of people after them to see and understand what paths we should take uh, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, and I pray that any time that we see a situation where we feel the need to be strong, um, I pray that you would help us choose the right strength. Uh, We don't have to back down from anything that you're giving us, Lord, but rather we have to submit to you And we have to follow your way. Uh, It's going to look like humility, service, and love to others. Remind us of that so that we don't feel we need to yell, we need to power up, we need to put others down. 
or we need to stand in our own strength. May our confidence come from you. May those songs that we were singing earlier, Lord, that we have nothing to fear because of who you are, because of your love for us, may those be true in our lives. May you remind us of these things so that we might be able to choose your path of looking like you and not looking like Pharaoh and standing in our own strength. We thank you and we love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.